0: Hello and welcome to the St Mark's podcast. Whether you regularly join us at church on Sundays or you're joining us for the very first time, we hope that this week's talk inspires you and draws you closer to Jesus. We're going to invite up Joel and Joel's going to come and speak to us this morning and bring us the next part in our godly leadership series. So let's pray for Joel as he comes to speak. Father, thank you for Joel. Thank you for the words that you've placed on his heart for this morning. We pray Holy Spirit, fill him afresh. We pray, Lord, uh, that he would speak your word to us and that our lives would be challenged and would be changed by you. Amen. Has anyone uh, accidentally thought they might need to be on LinkedIn in their lives? Uh, I did. I don't know if you know about LinkedIn. It's a basically boring facebook but for jobs anyway i get emails from them all of the time and this week i learned something new from them for the, probably for the first time there's a new type of leader going around called jellyfish leaders uh, a jellyfish leader if you didn't know which I doubt you read constant emails from LinkedIn, so you probably don't. Jellyfish leader, it survives by going with the flow and not standing out. Its direction changes frequently based on the wind and the currents around it. And it eats as long as it drifts through enough food. But it cannot master its own destiny and swim to a new food or create its own supply. And I don't think this is groundbreaking insight into leadership, guys, but we are not called to be jellyfish. We're not. We're not called just to drift along, uh, but at the same time, I can see how the current climate uh, can make us feel like jellyfish, tossed around from trauma to trauma. And when the Queen died, I saw a tweet Um, that said that this has got to be the final episode of the UK because things cannot get any more dramatic. We seem to be in times so chaotic and traumatic that it feels like we're in a TV program just examine it. We've had uh, Brexit, what feels like 87 general elections and different prime ministers, the pandemic, uh, a massive awakening of racial injustice, which just keeps on resurfacing. First, it was George Floyd, and then it was the English footballers. And this week, uh, Chris Caber was shot dead, a black unarmed man shot dead in London. Uh, And then we've got Climate change. And then we've got the war in Europe. Then we've got the cost of living crisis. One thing after another. And the only thing throughout all of that that was stable and consistent and reliable and just all around lovely was the queen. And now she's gone. Even if you didn't like the monarchy. You cannot argue that the queen, when put in a position from birth, did the best with the cards she'd been dealt. I don't get me wrong, they're very good cards, but she dealt with them the best she could. She played a good hand. And I'd agree with that tweet that said it feels like the finale, the final straw in an exhaustive list of things that you hope are the worst thing that will happen. I believe, and I'm not that old, despite the fact that my hair has decided it's no longer with me, but I feel like in my life there's not been a more turbulent and trying time. And what's more amazing than all of that is that the church's response in times of trouble, the Christian way, is not to run away, but to run towards. There's something within Christians, a heroic urge. Join, pray, serve, give, sacrifice, love. Way back in Rome, uh, in 165 to 180 AD, the Antonine pandemic. Yeah, that's right. You thought you were the only people who had a pandemic. There was another one, a cooler one, an earlier one. The Christians during that time were marked by not running away, but moving into the midst of the plague. They were known for their love of people. They didn't run away from it. And that just has not changed in Christianity. The queen died and after about 30 seconds, it seemed like, churches across the country responded, hosting services and vigils and spaces for people to gather and process their mourning. They even went up and down that 14 hour queue and prayed for people and encouraged them as they stood there doing their British duty of queuing. And do you know what? In all of those traumatic events, God has called and entrusted you to lead in this moment. God, who has arranged the complete timeline of human history, has determined the very point that you would all enter it and the exact place where you would be right now and when he's drawing out your destiny within humanity's story. He says, you, right here, right now. When God was knitting together the fabric of time, he was like, who am I going to need to change the narrative of Grimsby? Who is up for the challenge of making people feel the love of God? Who will learn to live their lives like Jesus and commit their lives to the transformation of society. I'm not gonna wheel someone out from behind the curtain, it's it's you, it's me, it's us. You are the people who Jesus trusts more than anyone else in human history to lead and to navigate through these times. You're not a jellyfish. I learned this week another jellyfish fact. I used it when my children were having their school photos taken. You know when you ask children to smile and they do that face that's kind of like half constipated, half smiling, that no one wants to see in a school photo? So I used my jellyfish fact, which is, in Welsh, jellyfish is pishgod, wibbly-wobbly. Pishgod, fish, wibbly-wobbly. Jelly. Yeah. Hello? Hello? happened to me? We okay? Oh, there we go. Someone had had enough. I don't blame them. (laughs) Have you ever played that game, though, where you make someone laugh? I used to play it in my family uh, as kids journeying all the way to France in a car, we used to try and make everybody laugh, and everybody could make everybody laugh. Pretty much, my mum was very easy. I laugh at pretty much anything, so I was very easy. But my dad was invincible. He was undefeated. He never laughed. No matter what we did, he would just carry on. Stern face. Until I asked him, Dad, How do you not laugh in this situation? And he, also a vicar, um, said he just imagines that he's at a funeral. Because when you're holding a funeral, you hold the burden of everybody who's there. You are the one straight face throughout all of it. And the next time we played the game, I made him absolutely lose it and laugh for about five minutes. Because I opened with, you're at a funeral. But since being ordained and taking funerals myself, I realized how right he was. You do hold the burden of everybody who gathers in that space. Sometimes it's immediate, but sometimes it's a delayed response, and you kind of feel like you need to lie down, or uh, one of my vicar friends always goes to Sainsbury's and buys new shirts, and... um, there's something within you that, having held all of that burden, needs a release, needs a break of that stress cycle. And it's hard. And it made me think about how we've all been called to lead in this moment, and that the queen's death is the latest in a long list of things. And so the question is: how do we cope, not only now, but with what's to come? or as the slide preempted, how are we faithful to the task that Jesus has entrusted us to? And I think there are three big challenges to the call. The first is the temptation to say, nope, no, it's not me. Like when I called you all leaders and pointed at you, you might have sat there and gone, nope, no, not me. And what's great about this is there are so many people in the Bible that say No. All of the time, but my favourite, my favourite of all, is Gideon. Let me tell you about Gideon. In Judges six, um, I think we've got this on the screen. It says, uh, "The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites." To give you the context of this. Here is how you thresh wheat. There's a picture of a sign, of a, a picture of a wine press, hopefully. Um, it's just a big hole. Yeah, there you go. There's an old wine press. Um, to thresh wheat, what you've got to do is you get the wheat and you bang it on the floor and all of the wheat, all of the good stuff, falls out and is kind of weighty, so stays on the floor. And all of the chaff, the other stuff, like the part that if you picked up and eat it, it would just be straw blows away in the wind that's how you thresh wheat you hit it on the floor the bad stuff blows away and the wheat remains if you do it in a wine press nothing blows away you cannot thresh wheat in a wine press it's one of those things where the context of that verse he's threshing wheat in that hole to hide and the wheat's staying there, but sows the chaff it is absolutely useless. And it draws you to two conclusions. He's either one, a big chicken, two, very stupid, three, a combination of all of those things. And that's when the angel of the Lord appeared and said to him, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. He's not a mighty warrior, he's hiding in a wine press, doing something that doesn't work. And it made me think, God starts a lot of the time by calling someone who doesn't think they're capable. So maybe you think you're not a leader. Maybe you think you have no courage. Maybe you think you're not clever. Maybe you've spent your life trying to ignore the very presence of God, trying to love you. And you just want to say no. God sees your potential Where you feel anxious and shy, God sees a brave and mighty warrior. This is where I love a Bible translation. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. It's the most British Bible translation I've ever... Pardon me, my Lord... But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders our ancestors told us about? Didn't the Lord give us, bring us up out of Egypt? But the Lord has now abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Gideon does what we all do. He doubts. He questions God's calling. He says no in the British way. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you. You might want to say no, You might doubt God's call on your life. You might doubt your ability, but God says, go. God sees the potential in our lives. If we just say yes, God promises to be with us all of the way. Let us be a church that says yes when we want to say no. Instead, we trust God and we go. And read ahead. Works out well for Gideon. So that's the first challenge. The second challenge is best described by the film Up. There should be a picture of a dog. He's called Doug. There you go. Um, In the film, this dog can talk. And in the middle of sentences, he goes, squirrel. And then he carries on. He'll just be talking away and then, squirrel. Something else distracts him and off he goes. Distractions come along in life, no matter what they might be, whether it be a squirrel or something more important, and that can put us off following that call. And one of my uh, favorite examples of jealousy in the Bible is um, is with Saul and David. Uh, In 1 Samuel, it says, David did everything Saul sent him to do. He did so well that Saul gave him a high rank in the army that pleased Saul's army, including his officers. After David killed Goliath, the men of Israel returned home. The women came out of the towns of Israel to meet King Saul. They danced and sang joyful songs. They played harps and tambourines. And as they danced, they sang. And this is the point where Saul had a bit of jealousy, a bit of green eye. He said, Saul has killed thousands of men. David had killed tens of thousands. It's a bit grisly. It's a weird thing to sing a song about. But it says, that song made Saul very angry. It really upset him. He said to himself, they are saying David has killed tens of thousands of men, but I've only killed thousands. The only thing left for him is the kingdom itself. From that time on, Saul watched David closely. Saul was too busy concerning himself with David. He needed to stay in his lane. He needed to follow his life, but he didn't. Life did not work out well for Saul past this point because instead of concerning himself with his own character and his own calling and trying to live his own life well, he concerned himself with David. He fixated on the comparison. He got distracted. I used to be a primary school teacher and uh, we had a kid in our class called Aiden who was quite small um, and quite stocky um, and he wore glasses, which isn't a criticism, but it just didn't lay him out to look like he's you know, athletic uh, or built to be a sprinter, but my goodness, that boy was fast. We had a sports day, and he was miles ahead of everybody. So we put him in the year above, and he was still miles ahead of everybody. So we took him with us um, to the like county trials, and in the first race, he was going quite fast. But then he started looking about left and right. He's looking at where everyone else was, and he was in the lead. But because he kept looking about left and right, someone eventually overtook him, and I said to him. Aiden, you've made it to the final, but what we'd really love is for you to just try and concentrate on you doing you. Just follow your path, stay in your lane, don't get distracted by all the things that's around you, the other people. Just keep running. He didn't pay attention to me, and he was in fifth when he kept looking about, and he tripped and he fell over and he came last. Don't be distracted trying to be someone else or worried about what everyone else is up to. In Psalms, uh, David writes in chapter 139 verses 13 and 14, this is God speaking, For it is you, uh, you, sorry it wasn't God speaking, for it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's new womb. I will praise you because I have been fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully translated from the Hebrew means with great reverence, heartfelt interest, and with respect. Wonderfully, when translated from the Hebrew, means unique and set apart. Every human was created to be Christ's image bearer and live a fulfilled life without rival for an amazing and unique purpose. This church needs all of us to be focused on our own call. We've gone through a whole series with different gifts within the church. And the key word there is different. We're not clones. We're not called to do the same job. We need Welcomers, children's work, worship, refreshment, finance, cleaners, safeguarding, the list goes on. And we also don't all know the same people. We're called as we are to influence those people around us. We need to stay in our lane, stay focused. And the final challenge has so everyone ever done a HIT workout? High intensity interval training. It's like 30 seconds of something and then 30 seconds of dying on the floor. And when I first did one, I just felt like I can't keep going. Um, I started inside wearing uh, shorts and a t-shirt, maybe even a jumper. And by the end of the workout, I was just in my shorts, no trainers, topless, out in the garden, almost crying, feeling like I couldn't go on, and after half an hour, I lay down on the floor, um, and I think I was probably there for about 10 minutes, feeling like I was dead. I couldn't go on. I couldn't keep going. But now, after doing a few more, quite a few more HIT workouts, I can keep going. I've slightly learnt the skill of perseverance. And... This is where uh, the old teacher and me will teach you some grammar from the New Testament with a really great slide showing that I get my resources from reliable places. Wikipedia tells you um, the grammar in the New Testament is in the infinitive quite a few times. And so when it tells us in the Bible to pray, often it actually means pray infinitive there's no pray and then we've done it once that'll do, thank you very much it's pray and keep on praying it's be filled with the spirit and keep on being filled with the spirit it's to love and to keep on loving because when you're teenagers you probably think love is one of those lovey-dovey woo yay, I'm in love. And then when you grow up, you discover that love's a bit more complicated than that. And there's no better example than my parents, because I was cute as a child, um, but as a teenager not so much. And I hope they don't listen back, but if they do, very sorry. Um, I once was sick probably from drinking too much, uh, in my sink in my bedroom. And I left it in there as I went away for a week on holiday. Um, And my dad cleaned it up. Um, I did many things that were not the nicest thing to do as a teenager, but at no point did they turn around and treat me any differently they showed me that love is a choice. It's a choice to keep on loving, to keep on praying. So we say yes to the call of God. We stay focused on being the people with the gifts and talents and connections we have. And we persevere in pray, enjoy, And in love. So I want to draw a close just looking at Jesus because I think Jesus did all of these things all in one. Jesus wanted to say no in Matthew, in Luke 22 42, says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. When he's about to be crucified, he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. In that one sentence, Jesus is wanting to say no. And in some ways, he's also forgetting who he was. Distracted by the anguish, he momentarily forgets his purpose. But he didn't give up. In fact, he continued with the most important yet in history. He says, yet not my will, but yours be done. You might feel like the Bible has uh, God using loopholes and he went to the cross. Uh, he was actually fine. He was just perseverance. It wasn't perseverance. It wasn't painful. Um, but if you follow on to Luke twenty-two forty-four and the next few verses, you see the extent of the burden that Jesus carried with him to the cross. Being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. It's called hematohidrosis. Sorry if I get that wrong. I'm not great at pronunciations, as you may have figured out. Um, it may occur in individuals suffering from extreme levels of stress. Around the sweat glands, there are multiple blood vessels in a net-like form which constrict under the pressure of great stress, and you can sweat blood. It made me think whatever pressure we feel from the continued burden of leading the response to the turmoil around us, it's important to remember that Jesus not only has felt the same, but he carried all of that burden with him to the cross. He took the weight of sin and shame, of our fears and our failures, of our mistakes and our frustrations, and he carried them all. And he did it so that we don't have to. We are not Jesus. We are not, and we will never be the saviour of the world. It is not our job to be Jesus. We cannot carry all of those burdens. We give them all to the one who did it for us. How are we to stay faithful to the task that God has called us to? We are simply called to say yes to God, to trust the calling he gave us, and to persevere. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. I want to pray particularly into people who feel like they're carrying that burden right now. I want to pray that God would fill us. Maybe put out your hands as a way of saying, I'm going to receive this blessing. Ask God to fill us with the Holy Spirit, fill us with a sense of freedom that this burden isn't ours to carry.